but I could have stayed in that worship all day. That's where we're going. Amen? It's where we're going as a church. It's where you're going as an individual forever. Uh, we talked about it last week. You know, there's a lot of things that will cease, but not worship. Preaching, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, missions, healings, all will cease. But Jesus doesn't cease. Therefore, worship doesn't cease. He's always worthy. He's never not unworthy. There's never a moment where he's not worthy, so we worship him. Why is worship forever? Because he's always worthy. Why isn't prophecy forever? Because you will know him as you were known. You don't need a word. Paul says, we will know. He knows you fully. You do not know Jesus fully, but one day you will. We know him more and more. When you think there's a depth, there's another depth. It's like the sand. You go on the sand. You pick up your hand, and you think, I know Jesus. You just got one little handful. Keep digging. Every beach, every sand, every grain, there's still something more. And we need to understand something about worship because, uh, well, let me chill out before I start rolling again. Because I'm, I'm going to do something I never did before. I'm going to preach and minister basically the same sermon as last week. Because the only thing God wants to add is a question today. He wants to add a question. And it's a heavy question. And it's not yes or no. We need to hear it again. Because when he asks the question, there's a weight to it. It's your yes. It's our yes. It's a congregation yes. For there to be a move in the corporate body, the corporate needs to move. It can start with one person, but it doesn't end there. When they went to the revival at Azusa Street, that's not where it started. You need to go to Bonnie Bray Street when there was a couple women praying. And it started in heaven. So anyways, uh, we, just two things before we get going. When Kirk was, oh, let me put these checks in. Somebody asked me to put them in. I go, that's great. People think I'm giving. <laughs> Pharisee scribe. <laughs> when, the, Kirk was, when Kirk was teaching about ties, I just remembered this story, and it fits in with Lena. I was reading this story this week. This guy, his, his, he was a mess. And then he goes, here's one of your favorite Bible teachers on finances, and he gets his finances order, and he starts tithing, and he's in debt and all these things, and God starts working in his life. Well, their car is a piece of junk. It's out. Well, he got a phone call from a guy he hasn't talked to in years. He goes, do you remember when you gave me your bike when I was 12? He goes, yeah. He goes, I want to buy you a BMW. And he sent him a check, and the guy took the check, and he goes, well, I bought two cars. I bought a Suburban and an Acura, which was smart. No offense to BMWs, but you better buy a maintenance plan. But I thought about it. <laughs> God doesn't forget. That man didn't forget. And Lena says, promises, forget. Do you remember that bike when you gave me when you were 12? Some of us have sown seeds years gone by, and God doesn't get. And I'm just not talking about financial seeds. I'm talking about tears. I'm talking about prayer. So, Father, I thank you that you are faithful, that a man can remember a bike when he was 12. Was that 30, 40 years? You remember forever. So I thank you, seeds. I thank you for the prayers people have prayed over their children, even when they were in the womb, that they may have forgotten, but heaven doesn't forgot. And it holds a bowl, and the bowl runs over, and it runs on earth, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. And then the second thing is I felt led to share this testimony. I lived in Roswell, New Mexico for a while. My dad had a com- I was living in Colorado. My dad had a company. He says, come help me. So we built these machines. And so there was a church I went to at a time. One of my favorite people there was Mike Garcia. I love Mike. I mean, forever. He's on the list of my favorite people. He just sold, he sold uh, not Jess, but he's, he sold uh, medical appliances, went to people's house, and he ministered all day long. He was humble. Well, his, he has a daughter named Victoria, and I asked if I could share this testimony because she went to the doctor, and, and basically you have tumors in your breast. And... Uh, this is what she said. So I took this trip. They live, in, they live in Roswell, three and a half hours away is Albuquerque. And see, I had several tests done, blood work, ultrasounds, CT scan, ultrasound, then three more ultrasounds to confirm that something was wrong. As my father stood by my side for 17 hours waiting for the physician to tell me I indeed have cancer, our surgery was the next step to remove tumors, we waited and decided to go to lunch and wait for the, my next uh, CT scan, only to get a phone call while we're eating lunch to immediately get back to the breast center. 
My father saw the fear in my eyes, yet he showed strength in this matter. I was examined by the surgeon three times, then left in the room for two hours. The surgeon came in and said, I would like to speak to you in my office. I wanted, I wanted my dad, yet she was, well, he was not able to go with me. The nurse came in and told me we need some of your saliva to send to a scientist to confirm what I saw and what I'm not seeing. So I waited in her office, and she told me, I spent four hours looking at your tumors and calculated what doesn't make sense to me. She replied, the tumors that I saw were there, and what I don't understand, that I see no term of tumors. You do not have cancer. I replied, how can all my tumors be gone? And she replied, only a lab and a scientist can figure this out. Now, doctors and nurses see a lot of miracles, but very few are going to tell you, oh, that's a miracle, you're released. We understand there's liability, and even the one, so I understand that part. And she replied, I still want you to see a cancer specialist in Roswell to make sure it doesn't make sense. I broke down in tears telling my father she saw tumors and now she saw nothing. My father replied, of all the people that were praying. I told the surgeon that what was going to, and then she, she, she asked the surgeon that was going to operate on her, what does this mean? She replied, this is goodbye. Goodbye. I don't need you anymore. I don't need to see you anymore. And so she had a clearance. Now, my, I love this story. I, I, I leaped with joy. But my mom had breast cancer. My brother and I prayed for her, believed in healing, and she died. So I don't know why. But it doesn't mean we stop. I know, I know one of the reasons why is not because of the goodness of God. The goodness of God is consistent. See, and some people camp at the, at, the, at the gravestone. Why? And they never move from why. But worship is one of those things that pushes us along the, the why, and we look to the Who? And one day, all our questions will be answered. If you need all your questions answered today, you will be stagnant in your walk in Christianity. Jesus didn't answer all questions. In fact, he answered many questions with a question. <laughs> Why do you ask that? You know, it was almost like Yoda. I was like, what? You know? And so it's the who. It's the who. So I felt, I really felt led to, to not do a part two. This, I mean, it, it is, in a sense, it's the next part, but it's basically a continuation. So we're going to go over last week. Again, I might say some new things, miss some other things, but it's basically the same message. Here's the thing. He's still worthy. Oh, and so last week, uh, we talked about how Satan was the covering angel. He was a worshiping angel. His body made music, but he moved from his place of worship. Now, after Satan moved from his place of worship, first it was in his heart. I will be like the most high. Before he moved physically, he moved in his heart. I will be like the most high. And when he moved physically, a third of the angels fell with him in deception. When we move from our place of worship, there will be things in our life that are not on their assignment. They will move also in our life. Because this is what we think. Uh, and let me just say, this is not a message, oh, we talked about prayer, we talked about, you know, we talked about giving. Now it's, it, it's in a series. No, this is what God's highlighting for us, church. He wants us to enter to the depth of the church, corporately and individually, because he's looking for places to dwell, not just visit. And he wants to demonstrate himself in these last days. Now, this message is not because of the election. It's not because it's COVID. It's because he's worthy. It's because he's worthy and he's marking it. I want houses where I can dwell. When I say houses and places, I'm not using the word church. I'm using places. It could be your place. We talked about how I worked for a contractor in Roswell, New Mexico, and he was worked for State Farm, which means when people have hail damage, there was a hailstorm that blew through a town of 50,000, so we get all these phone calls. Come, come check. Okay, you know, a lot of times Don says, we'll cover deductible. Don't worry about it. We'll just cover your roof. You know, some, some huge houses, very nice houses, and some, you know, middle-class houses, and the smallest house we went to was a dirt road, small house, about 600 square feet, um, not being evangelistic. Uh, it's about maybe even smaller. And when I walked through the door, the presence of God was thick. It just hit me. I just wanted to weep. 
Uh, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a pastor. It wasn't a church. We weren't there to pray. It was simply to look at a roof. Because, but so where does God dwell? Where he's wanted. And he was wanted there. And so he's saying, Epicenter, can this be a place where I dwell? I'm not talking about good services. I'm not talking about good preaching. I'm not talking about, oh, that was a great prophetic man, you know, three years ago, four years ago. I'm talking about every week it's a place where he dwells, where people come in and they're changed. Because in the presence of God, everything changes. Because it pushes out something. One of the, one of the words in, the, in Hebrew for, for uh, worship is bow down. When we worship, I'm telling you what else needs to bow down. Circumstances, trials, your thoughts, your feelings, they also bow down. See, Jesus is always exalted. When we say we exalt him, we're not putting him any higher. You're putting him higher in your life. See, so he never changes. Isaiah said the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was always high and lifted up. What changed? It was the year King Uzziah. And in the year this man died, God was exalted. I don't care who dies, he's still exalted. So he's, he can't get any higher than he is, but he can get higher in your heart. He can get higher in your place. And things must prostrate themselves. And so when Satan moved from his place, a third of the angels move. And because we cannot move from our place of worship, because we think everything's isolated. If I don't tithe, it's just tithing. If I don't go to church, it's just going to church. If I don't, in the kingdom of God, many things are connected. How you hear this message is how God gives you other messages. Take heed how you hear. Everything is connected with him. So when you leave worship, when you leave your place of assignment, when we, we come in late, with, with, and I'm not talking about anybody individual, I'm talking about the church in general. When we just want a 15-minute, 20-minute worship, we're moving from our place of assignment, the same thing Satan did. And when he moved a third of the angels, there will be things that will not be in place in your life if worship isn't first. Now, we also talked about, I don't want to go through all the benefits of worship. Because if you worship for benefits, it's not worship. There will be things that joy and peace, and you can start there. We enter his courts with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. But just like the temple and the tabernacle, there's a deeper place, and that's worship. When it's no longer about you, it's about him. See, when it becomes about him, that's true worship. And worship is focus. I was worshiping at home, and my hands were raised. I was in my room, and I was like, my mind is not even on this. I put it down. I go, we need to start this again. I need to get back to that place. And I thought, what is worship? And just one word, focus. Worship is focused on him. See, what happens is in heaven, see, in, on earth, personalities are exalted. In, in heaven, a person is exalted. It's a huge difference. The, and I'm talking about the church. We exalt personalities. We exalt this guy's preaching, this church, even praise and worship. And I'm not saying we have preferences. I'm talking about we are great at exalting people. Heaven exalts Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. So you guys ready? So this is, uh, like we talked about last week, this is not a message on how to worship. You can sit there with your hands. You, it's the heart. This is not a message on let's follow John. Now, he's a great worshiper. No, this is not I'm entering in this too. This is a message where God's pinpointing now is the season. I want the epicenter to enter into a newer depth. It's not two songs of warm-up. It's not coming in late. It's preparing your heart. Each person must answer their own question. When they come in and they exalt him, other things will automatically have to bow down in your life because Jesus is exalted. Amen? So, you know, you hear different messages, and they'll say, you know, I want you to hear my heart today. I want you to hear my heart today. I don't want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear the heart of the Father. You don't want to hear my heart. Some of you are like, yeah, we hang out with you, John. We know. Especially when you drive. You don't want to hear John's heart. I'm getting better. But when you're really bad, better is a... <laughs> so... See, Lucifer, that's a bad name now, but it wasn't a, always a bad name. It was son of the morning. When he left the presence of God, see, God did not make Satan evil. He just took his presence from him. Let me tell you something. You get out of the presence of God, 
God's glory, he can't be any better, gooder. Satan can't be more evil. And every person is somewhere along the spectrum. God did not create Lucifer. And see, well, the thing is, worship is a response. Because God didn't make robots. How do you know that, John? Because Satan deceived a third of the angels. So worship is a response. God doesn't create robots. So those cherubims, he made beautiful, beautiful creatures that can handle his glory, and he put them close next to him. Now, God did not say, I want you to say, holy, holy, holy. He just revealed a part of himself, and their response was, holy, 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 holy. It's a response. It's, so, so, so Michael made the choice, I'm not going to follow you. It was a choice. There will be nobody in heaven that does not want to be there, even the angels. Nobody. And you see, oh, well, this loved one passed away. People ask me, oh, they're in heaven and hell. I said, I don't know their last thoughts. We don't. The thief on the cross, he didn't say the sinner's prayer. He just said, remember me. And God sees the heart. There's people that have died from heroin, and people say, that, oh, they died from an overdose, and they got saved while they're dying. We just don't know it. We don't know it. And other people, we think we're Christians. So I don't, so I don't know their last thoughts. But I do know when we move our, our place of worship, and, and worship is a response, so it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I had a... Mormon come to my door. And, you know, I like when Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. And people say, why? Because they're going to stand one day in front of God. And they're going to be somewhere in eternity. And I know they don't believe Jesus is God. Mormons don't believe it. Muslims don't believe it. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe it. And so I just asked her a question. I go, we're supposed to only worship God. She goes, that's right. Because they only think Jehovah's God, not Jesus, right? Which there's no J in Hebrew. So that's not really his name, Jehovah. But that's a different story. So I said, we're only supposed to worship God. And she goes, that's right. I go, in fact, when the angels showed up in the, in the Old Testament, some of the people would try to worship the angels, and the angels said, no, 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 don't worship me. Only worship God. She goes, that's right. I go, if Jesus isn't God, she believes, I go, why didn't he refuse worship one time? He's either disobedient or he's God. And you just said, and they don't believe he's, so he, he's one. When the children cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Pharisees tried to quiet him. There's voices that will still try to quiet your worship. Jesus never refused worship one time. Not once did he not refuse worship because he's always worthy of worship. So things in your life will try to pull you from that place of worship. And Satan looked at himself and said, I'm beautiful. His beauty, and there's nothing wrong with thinking you're beautiful as long as you don't give God glory. The difference is he looked at himself without God. And when you bring God in a situation, God, what do you say about this circumstance? What do you say about me? And as long as you're talking to God and believing what he's saying, you're fine. It's when Satan stopped and he just looked at himself. And we come in here just ourselves, my circumstances, my family, my problems, and our worship is hindered. God doesn't want it hindered, and it's a continuation, Amen. So it's not like, oh, we just worship on Sunday. No, if you just worship on Sunday, you worship it. See, you can be in worship, but not a worshiper. Worshiper is every day. And I'm not saying you got to worship for three or four hours. It's a heart position. It's a heart position. It's not the songs you sing. It's not the vo volume of your voice. It's not the beauty of your voice. It is heart position. Worship is a heart position. The women that would worship Jesus at his feet, and they said, no, 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 no. She had picked the better thing. Worship is always the better thing. When we worship Jesus, it's always the better thing. When you exalt Jesus, other things bow down automatically, and you can leave things that you brought in when you exalt Jesus because you see him as he is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, the glory. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. See, he began to look at himself, and then they brought a coal from the fire. See, without Je Jesus, his blood gave you the right to raise your hands. His blood gave you the right to enter. When he 
the veil was ripped. And so we need to get back to our place of worship. And we want to say, yes, Lord, this is a place where you can dwell, not just visit, not just have good services. Because God wants to saturate this place. He's looking for places. He's looking for places. And some places he's found. And some places he's not. And the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, looking for those whose hearts are fully his. Uh, looking for hearts. Looking for hearts. He's not looking for riches. He's not looking for talent. He's looking for hearts. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro to strengthen those hearts who's fully his. And God wants to dwell here like never before. It's not that he doesn't dwell, but I'm saying the glory of God. When people, and it's not like, oh, did you feel God's presence today or didn't you feel it? No, it's he's here. He's here, things change. When Jesus walks in, circumstances change. When demons walk in, even the demons knew. So when Jesus killed the demoniac, or not killed, healed. <laughs> Rewind. When he healed the demoniac, the people said, leave us. One of the saddest scriptures, and so Jesus got in the boat and left. And there's many churches that say, we don't want you. So he leaves. He stands at the door and knock. He doesn't go through the window. He doesn't beat it down. He says, you have the choice to open up. And if you open up, he comes in and he fellowships with you. Same with worship. It's a choice. He doesn't force you to worship. I don't come in, my hands go up and go, I don't really want to be here. No, 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 that's not, it's a choice. And sometimes it's a physical choice before you feel anything. Sometimes it's like, you know, you, we talked about David. David was a worshiper before he was a king in the ministry. David was a worshiper before he was in the ministry, before he played before the king. He was always a worshiper. Before he was chosen, when it was just him and God, he was a worshiper. David was always a worshiper. Amen. And so we talked about the tabernacle of David. And we're going to read a scripture. And the tabernacle Moses had a purpose. God told Moses to build the tabernacle. There was a veil. There was the ark. There was separation. But God's desire was never that there was separation. In fact, in the cool of the day, he would walk with Adam. There was no separation. And when then there was sin, it was separation on man's part. It was on God's part, but man felt it. And he felt shame. And one of the things Jesus does, he just doesn't want to forgive your sin. He wants to wash your shame and guilt away. Because a lot of people are going to heaven, but they just don't have, they still feel unworthy. But with Jesus, you're worthy. I mean, David took a man's wife and killed him. Repented and worshiped. You can't do that unless you know you're clean. I don't think anybody here has done that. <laughs> I mean, I look good compared to that. I'm just <laughs> Took a man's wife, killed him, sat on it for two years, repented, and then worshiped again. That's knowing God. Friend, that's knowing God. So, Lord, I thank you. Shame and guilt have no place in here. Not just the forgiveness of sins. When a woman has an abortion, not just, oh, you forgive the sin, but the washing is gone like it never happened. Like it never happened. And the only thing that remains is the compassion for the people. The only thing that remains is the power to lay hands on someone else. The only thing that remains is words to speak life. You said your words are living. So we want to remove shame and guilt. Why? Because Jesus does. And so when I go to countries and do missions, you can see them at the altar. They come, they're saved, but their hands are down. Their hands are down because shame and guilt, and they're coming out of religions and says, you're never good enough. Are you ever really worthy? Killed a man, took his wife, repented, and then worshiped again. So we talked about the tabernacle of David, and it says, I'm going to read the scripture. When, in the New Testament, when God was breaking out on the Gentiles and the Gentiles were getting saved, remember, there was no New Testament. There was just... The Old Testament, and not even the full Old Testament was written yet, and so they're like, oh, you need to get circumcised. There was a big debate. It's not like they can read Galatians or the book, and so they said, should they get circumcised? And they debated and debated. Everybody was, Paul was there, and he says, this is what God's doing among the Gentiles. He's pouring his spirit out. And this was, James finally said, this is, this is this, the prophet Amos. He said, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. 
Now, we'll stop there. Why did he say the tabernacle of David? He didn't say the tabernacle of Moses. He didn't say the temple of Solomon. Moses built the tabernacle of Moses according to the plans of God. Solomon built the temple, Solomon's temple according to the plans of David. It was in his heart. They call it Solomon's temple. Really, it was the temple of David. David gave him the plans. Gave him, gave him the materials. And David says, you know, because he's inexperienced, let me tell you what it is in English, because he doesn't know what he's doing. And so he gave them all, and Solomon just built what David said, and Moses built what God said, but the tabernacle of David is what God placed in his heart. David was always a worshiper, so he said, when the ark was here and the tabernacle of Moses was here, we're not going to get into the story because the Philistines, because they, they brought it into battle, then the Philistines took it, and then it was there. Everybody was scared of the ark. When David became king, he says, bring me the ark, bring me the presence. See, without the presence, it's just words. Without the presence, it's just a missions trip. Without the presence, it's just, you must just go on vacation, not even to a missions trip, because God's presence changes everything. When God comes in the room, things leave. When God comes in the room, things bow down. And I'm talking about your life, too, when I say room of your heart, amen? So it's not just church. We love God here, and we walk out. Okay, then we go back to my circumstances. No, you can bring the presence with you. It's always. And when he says, I'm king, he says, I'm bringing the presence. He didn't bring the tabernacle of Moses. It was never done before. He just brought a tent. He made a tent with the ark, and the people could come in, and they worshiped 24-7. Why? Because it was in his heart. And what did he do? What did David do? He entered into what heaven was already doing. See, there's no, see heaven's, heaven's nonstop worship. When you read, it's the worship, the angels, and the worship. He just entered into what heaven was already doing, and heaven on earth. And so, you know, like David's a worshiper. It's not like, oh, I, I'll never be like David. No, God wants to put the tabernacle of David in your life. He wants to put where there's no separation. See, there was no veil. There was no holy of holies. They didn't touch the ark, but there it was, nonstop. And you people, you know, predict, you know, they, they'll estimate how many worshipers. I heard 40,000. I don't know how many. I just know it was nonstop. And it needs to be nonstop in our life. And I'm not talking about, you know, just always, always, always. It's, but the, the position, anything you face, anything you're against, anything that come against you, don't leave for your place of worship like Lucifer left. You stay in your place of worship, and you bring God into that situation. And I'm going to worship you, God. When his presence comes in, other things must leave. Amen? So he says, a tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as days of old. So... It was an actual tabernacle, but he, James is saying this is spiritual. So God's breaking out in, on the Gentiles. His presence is poured out, and it can pour out in your house and your family and your kids, and they can fulfill their destiny and purpose no matter what's going to happen, and he can pour it out. So we're not building an actual temple. We're just building a place where the, the ark can rest, where God dwells, where he is wanted. And he, David wanted him, and he brought him there. And so it says, and rebuild it as days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Now, why does it say possess the remnant of Edom? Edom were the descendants of Esau. Esau is the one who sold his birthright. Friends, we all sold our birthright. In the Garden of Edom, Adam and Eve sold their birthright, but there was one who paid it back. So he says, possess the remnants of Edom. So everybody that sold their birthright, that squandered their gifts, that, that, that didn't follow God, all of those are welcome to come to the place where God's presence is because of Jesus. That's what he says. He's pouring it out on the Gentiles, even the remnant. Everybody that sold their birthright, come. And the tabernacle of, da of Moses, if you were blemished, you couldn't come. The tabernacle of David says, come, be restored. 
See, there's a difference. He says, I will restore the tabernacle of David. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Solomon. And all the gold, it was a place where the presence was honored. And where God's presence is honored, he comes in. And he changes every birthright you've ever sold, every ministry you've ever lost, every mantle you've left down. Every time you've cursed your kid, he can restore it. Every time you've cursed your parents, he can restore it. Why? Because we are that. We're the remnant of Edom. We're the ones that sold our birthright for stew. And later he cried over it, but was lost. It was gone. But Jesus comes back and restores the birthright. And everybody has the birthright as the first firstborn because it's Jesus when you start looking at it and study it and you see the worthiness of Jesus we don't worship him because it's a warm-up to the sermon we worship him because he's worthy there's services that are coming here that'll just be worship but it just won't be preaching no one's you know when you read revelation after Jesus spoke to the church they didn't say oh and they gathered around this preacher and they gathered around this prophet and they gathered around this no 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 they gathered around the throne of God and there was worship over and over and over And when you begin to worship Jesus when you don't feel like it, when you begin to worship Jesus when everything says move from your place, when everything says move from your place, look at yourself, move from your place, you stand there and you worship him and his presence comes in. Whether you feel it or not, it changes the atmosphere. See, we don't go by feelings. God's looking for people that don't. I love feeling his presence. I've been feeling his presence more the last couple weeks than ever in worship. Why? Because God is just showing me, John, I'm doing something new. We have not been this way before. Therefore, we can't look at what's been done before. The, The tabernacle of David, he didn't say, what did they used to do? He said, what's in my heart? I want to bring him here. What did Moses do? He didn't say that. How did they build it? No, no, no. And so here it is that this is the tabernacle of David. What is that? God's spirit being poured out with no separation. There was no veil. 24-7. Amen? Now, here's we're going to get to the question. Because it's not a long message today, and if you look at Jesus' sermons and messages, they weren't really long. They were just powerful. It's not the length of something on the the length of the message or the length of this. It's the power behind it. It's whose words are on it. You can preach for seven hours and there's no power. You can say one sentence, come out, and there's power. So so this is what, uh, before, the Bible says, David brought the ark to Jerusalem. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Why? Because it was corporate. He wasn't bringing it to his house. He was bringing it to the people. See, we're going to get to the question. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, before I read that, I need to talk about italicized words. When you, version of the Bible, New King James that I read, it will have italicized words. Some of yours don't. And the reason why it's italicized is because it's not in the original. When you translate a language, it's not word for word. You know, in Spanish, the house yellow. English, the house is yellow. We add is because it makes sense. And so the italicized words, sometimes it helps. Sometimes it changes the meaning. Because the word of God is infallible. Bible translations are not. And you need to remember that. And there's no Bible translation that's infallible. When you look at the interlineal Bible, you look at the original, and everybody just translates it. There'll be other translations. Some are horrible. I'm not going to get into that. Some are better than others. Read the one you get a lot out of. But understand, friends, that's somebody's translation. When you look at the original, everything changes. And, it, and, and it, there's, it's good translations. I'm not saying you need to know Greek and Hebrew. But when you study with the concordance, you can see. So what are you saying, John? I'm, I'm going to give you an example of the italicize that's good, italicize that's bad, and then we're going to look at David and why he didn't use a certain word. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that uh, Judah showed up with a garrison, and then an italicized is of soldiers. And that's a good, that's a good because it explains, oh, it's a garrison of soldiers. If it didn't say garrison of soldiers, a garrison of what? It's a garrison of soldiers. So Judah showed up with a garrison of soldiers. And so, okay, I get the meaning. And then it goes on. It says, when they came, they didn't ask, who is Jesus? No, 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 no. The Bible says, Jesus stepped forward so none would be harmed. And he says, who do you seek? 
And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. He is italicized. He was never in there. He just says, I am. So the soldiers fell back. They did not fall back because they were surprised it was Jesus. It was the power of that word. So anybody that doesn't understand, so he says, I am. They didn't say, who is Jesus? I am. That makes sense. No, no. He went forward so none will be harmed, and he does the same thing in your life. They said, who is it that you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, he says, I am. He is italicized, and he says it again. I am. I told you, I am. Why is that so powerful? Because when God was speaking to Moses, and Moses said, he says, go to your people. Moses says, who shall I say? He says, I am. I am. Jesus says the same things. That's why they wanted to stone him. That's why they wanted to kill him. Why do you want to kill me? For good works? No, none of the good works, because you being a man claimed to be God. He did more than claims, friends. He was. I am. He, so it changes the meaning. We need to know that. John, why is that important? Because when David, it's the same thing God's saying today. He's bringing the ark, and he's asking the question. He says, before David brought the ark, he consulted with the leaders. So this is not about what Pastor Easy and Lena and Allen, it's not enough. He needs more votes. And it's not, if we get this votes or that votes, it's a corporate move. So we must answer. I'm not saying two or three people can stop it, but more than two or three people need it. And David consulted with the captains of thousands of hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, seems is italicized. Seems wasn't in there. It's either good or it's not. If it's good to you, and that's what the question is. Is it good to you that the ark comes? Not if it seems. I'm not talking about, oh, that seems like a good place. That seems like a good idea. That seems. You either want it or you don't. And that is the question. Epicenter, is it good to you? Is it good to you? Seems is not italicized. This is not the time for seems. It seems like a good idea. It seems like I should get saved. It seems like I should worship. It seems like I should die. No, no, no. Seams are over, friends. The seam was ripped. It's good or it's not. So God wants to replant where we were last week. And he wants to stay there. But when he was at Moses, Moses said, show me your glory. He said, there is a place by me on the rock. And that's what God's saying in our worship. There's a place by me. He didn't say, Moses, there's a place 30 miles away and 60 miles away. And worship says there's a place by me on the rock, the rock that paid the price, the rock that brought the water. It's Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. The main points. So he consulted with the leaders. Let us send out to our brethren everywhere. There's a call going out to our brothers everywhere. Every nation, every country, every tribe, every voice is a good to you. For the presence to come. Who are left in all the land of Israel. And with the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and their common lands. That they may gather to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired it since the days of Saul. We had church. They sacrificed. They did the motions. But we didn't inquire of the presence. Then all the assembly said that they would do so. For the thing was right in all the eyes of the people. And David gathered all Israel. How many? All from, and he names the places, I'm not going to pronounce it. And he says, which belong, and he brought back the ark, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from the ark of God, who dwells between the cherim, where his name is proclaimed. So the question is, is it good to you? And when Jesus stepped forward in the garden of Gethsemane, who is it that you want? He's still asking that question. And they did it to sacrifice him. We did it because he wanted his presence. And we say, Jesus of Nazareth. So let's just close our eyes, because each one will answer that question. And how do you answer that question? I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar or raise your hand. You answer that question with your actions. You answer that question how you, and God is really highlighting worship. 
because he wants to go to a deeper place than he's ever gone before, here at this place. And this isn't your church. You can have it at your church. You can have it at your house. This is an individual word you can take, but it's also a corporate word for the epicenter. Epicenter, is it good to you? It's not seems. And we each one answers in our heart. Lord, we answer yes or no. So God, I say it's good to me. It's good to me that you come here. It's good to me that the other atmosphere comes. We talked about the mountains and Everest, and when you get to another atmosphere, it's the oxygen's so thin you can't breathe like you did at ground level. God, there's no seams in your word. Your presence isn't a seams. It's either good or it's not. Young person, you either want him or you don't. You want to follow his ways or you don't. It is good, Lord. It's good that you're here. It's good that you change lives. God, we still want you, and we want you in a greater way. And everything you've done in the past through the people and the churches and the mission trips and all the things that I've gone on and other people have gone on, all the services and the prophecies, we thank you for, Lord. But I thank you there's more, God. I thank you there's a deeper place in your ark. There's a wellspring that runs, never runs dry, and it changes lives, God. I thank you you never stop changing lives. You're washing away shame. You're washing away guilt. Who is it that you seek? Jesus of Nazareth and he's saying today I am I am I am so God we take the italicized out of our life we leave the grave of why it's not if it seems let's try it for a while and see if I like it let me worship a little more for a couple weeks and see if I go to that deeper place God it is good that you dwell here and we say yes we say yes to your presence. We say yes to your will. We say yes to your ways. We say yes to your program, God. We say yes for interrupting our lives. We say yes for interrupting our sleep. We say yes for interrupting our plans, our purpose, our destiny. We say yes to interrupting our retirement plans. We say yes to interrupting our finances. We say yes to interrupting how many kids we want or where we want to live and what church we want to go to. We say yes, not if it seems. No, it's good that you're here, Jesus. It's good that you lead us. It's good that you dwell in us. It is good. So David gathered all the people and he asked all the people because it was not an individual thing. And they could have said no. The greatest obstacle to the will of God is the will of man. It's not Satan. You can resist God. You can say no to him. Many do. They go and they hear the gospel and conviction comes and they tears and they get healed and they hear prophecies and they walk out unchanged because they say no. There's a man I work with years ago, God was knocking on his heart and he told me I didn't receive him. Now he's elderly. He said, I didn't receive him because I knew he was a jealous God. When I did, other things must leave. That's sad. So Father, I thank you for your people. You've highlighted worship. You highlighted that new depth, Lord. And I thank you for stepping forward when the enemy comes and you step forward in our lives, God. And you, t you take the brunt of it. You always took the brunt. this place to be exalt you we've always exalted you lord but i thank you there's a new depth coming isaiah always loved god for years i'm not saying his whole life for years he served god he was a prophet and then one day he saw the lord high and lifted up it was that day god chose to show isaiah another level so lord i thank you for showing us the revelation of jesus christ john knew you on earth one way but in heaven there was no veil of humanity and it was always your desire the veil was ripped and then you removed the veil of humanity as people saw you on earth and John saw you for who you really were. That's who Jesus always was. Eyes of fire, hair like wool, word spoken. He fell as a dead man, but Jesus touched him. That's the real Jesus. So Lord, I thank you 
for touching us so we can walk with you in every area, every person that has a limp or a, or a mark or shame or guilt. I can't raise my hands. You guys don't know what I've done. No, you don't know fully what he's done if you still think it's still about you. It's what he did on the cross. It's what he did. He only said, I need to borrow this tomb for three days. I just need to borrow it. I'm not going to own it. I just want to borrow it for three days. And they're going to lay me in for three days, and I'm going to rise again. And he, it was always it was always spiritual. I'm going to tear down this temple, temple of David. It was always spiritual. He spoke at another level. It was another depth. So, Lord, I thank you we begin to hear your words, not our words, not the words of man, not the sermons we've heard, but I thank you for bringing great change to our lives. And in this place, Lord, Father, I thank you what you've already done in the praise and worship in these last few weeks, God, whether we felt it or not. I thank you for change, God. I thank you for a saturation of your presence. I thank you for people come in. I thank you for excitement. God, these chairs will be filled with people that want to exalt your name. They will want to exalt your name. And the houses across this land and of the world, Lord, I thank you. You will gather a people, Lord. You are sending out the invitation. Do you want the Son of Man? Who is it that you seek? He's still asking that question. And some groups come in anger. Some groups come in love. Who is it that you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. And he steps forward. I am. And he's going to come down here and say, I am. I am. If good to you, let's all bring the ark. If good to you. There's no seams. If good to you. That's the question we're going to leave you with today. If good to you. So how do you answer that with your actions? It's not with your hand raised. It's not at the altars with your actions. We need to value. God put a mark on worship, friends. This isn't John's idea. He put a mark on worship. If you want my presence, if you want the I am, if you want the Jesus of Nazareth, our yes is in how we value how we value it our attendance our time and I'm not talking about anybody's picture but they, just like the invitation they went out and they gave him all excuses for the banquet and he's got angry he says go on the highways and byways his voice is going out highways and byways and there will be people come in here that were on drugs off drugs and they will be worshiping friends are going to come early there's going to be just like the Jesus movement oh they'll never get saved and there was a huge Jesus movement. So Lord, I thank you for what you're doing on the earth. I thank you for gathering your people. I thank you this is a place where the sound will go out and that worshipers that worship you in spirit and truth will be gathered here, God. In Jesus' name, amen.